0: you to guide lead us into what you'd want us to see from this and understand your word in a very powerful way through the Holy Spirit's leading we thank you in Jesus name Amen Amen. Job chapter 9 we're continuing Job's answer to Bildad Bildad had basically made his statement of bad things don't happen to to, uh, good people Uh, We saw that at the beginning, Job answered, you know, I know that you're telling the truth. Bad things don't happen to good people. And then he went in with, but. (laughs) All right. And this is kind of where we left off. We're going to start at verse 15. Whom though I were righteous, yet would I not answer, but I would make supplication to my judge. If I had called and he had answered, yet would I not believe that he had, had hearkened unto my voice. For he breaks me with a tempest and multiplies my wounds without cause. He will not suffer me to take my breath, but fills me with bitterness. If I speak of strength, lo, he is strong, and, of, and if of judgment, who shall set me in time to plead? For if I justify myself, my own mouth will condemn me. If I say I am perfect, it shall also prove me perverse. Though I were perfect, yet would I not know my soul, I would despise my life. This is one thing, therefore, I said. He destroys the perfect and the wicked. If the scourge slay suddenly, he will laugh at the trial of the innocent. The earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covers the faces of the judges thereof. If not, where and who is he? All right, I'm going to stop there. There's quite a bit there. So Job is continuing, he goes, if I were righteous, yet would I not answer, but I would make my supplication to the judge. He had just said that if he couldn't even answer one in a thousand charges against God, because he's recognizing, even as he defends himself, that he is a guilty sinner that that is walking by grace. And he, he's told Bildad, yes, I know that bad things don't happen to good people, he goes. And I'm a good person, but he's also recognizing that he is not a good person. It's kind of an interesting interesting statement, but it is the very things that the world does all the time. They do all this double double speak uh, and contradicting themselves. And Job is not that he's unrighteous, but he is struggling. He is struggling with the idea that, yes, Bildad, I know that bad things don't happen to good people. But I know that I'm a good person because I'm offering my sacrifices. I'm trying to serve God. And yet I know that I'm not really that good a person. So he's struggling. He doesn't feel that he's been bad enough to deserve all the stuff that's happened to him. But he's also understanding that he is not a completely righteous person. But he's also struggling with this idea that I haven't done something bad enough to have everything stripped away from me. You know, it would have been one thing if he just had, you know... A flock of sheep taken, you know, taken away, and and lost some of his wealth. He goes, okay, I must have done something to deserve that. But he's going, I have not done something bad enough to deserve everything that's happened to me. And this is the struggle that we as individuals have so often with God. You know, we know that everything we have is by grace, and yet we oftentimes feel that we've done, you know, that when we do good things, God is obligated to bless us. For some reason, and when we're not being blessed, we're looking for what did I do that wasn't good enough to please God and why I why I lost everything. And it doesn't matter how well trained we are, because I've even gone through that at times, you know, all right, God, what did I do to deserve what's come this way and I know better? But we do also have to look at and when bad things come our way, is there something in our life that we've done? You know, am I walking in some deliberate sin? Am I walking in some sin that is causing the problem, and then back off and say, okay, God, you're trying, what, what lesson are you trying to teach me? Now, we know the story. We know what led to this. We know, know the very end of the story. If you've read the whole book, it, you know, God is to teaching Job a lesson. He's using Job to let Satan know that Satan is not in control and that God, that God is still in control. So there's lots of things going on that Job does not have the answers to. He does not know the beginning from the end. He does, you know, he's just looking at, I was rich, now I'm poor. I was healthy, now I'm not healthy. You know, I'm basically saying, oh, woe is me. I haven't done anything bad enough to deserve all of this. And this is his problem. But the Jews, even to this day, have this idea that if you honor God, you're going to be wealthy. We talked about this this morning. You know, in, in Jesus' day, when when the rich young ruler came, and Jesus said the wealthy can't make, you know, it's hard for the wealthy to make it into heaven. They're going, well, who has a chance if it's not the wealthy who are being blessed by God? Who who can make it into heaven? And this goes all the way back to the very beginning in Job's day. You know, wealth was equated with righteousness, and even to a degree, it's it's kind of strange. It doesn't matter. It, you know, wealth is not as equated to wealth, uh, righteousness today as it used to be. We've got lots of people, we look at them and say, well, those people are mean, nasty, and cheaters, and wealth is almost looked at as a negative thing in today's world, as opposed to a righteous, a reward for righteousness. Uh, So we've got some kind of change going on. Now, the problem is, as Christians and and religious people, they still look at wealth as being the, the reward for serving God. So it's kind of a mixed mixed bag. And so Job is saying this, and he says, if, if I had called and he had answered, yet would I not believe that he had hearkened to my voice. He's going, things are so bad that if I had called out to God and he had answered me, I wouldn't believe that he had answered me. Because of how, you know, right now he believes that God is against him. He is believing that God is just waiting there to smack him upside the head no matter what happens (laughs) because of how bad things are because that's what's happened to his life. He's been totally turned upside down. And you know, this is something we need to be careful of when life goes upside down on us. Sometimes we have this idea that God is out to get me. I don't want to turn to God. I don't want to follow God because he's out to get me and this happens, people start drifting away from God because they're feeling that God no longer loves them, He no longer cares for them. Uh, And this is why we need to be able to understand God's grace. Even when we are being truly disciplined, we still need to approach God and turn to Him for mercy and grace. And over the years I've watched more people drift away from God when when they're being, being disciplined by God. Job is Feeling that, he's trying to, you know, he's, he's in a flux right now. You know, should I turn to God or should I blame God? Should I just have my life be over or should I just wait for God's blessing again? And he's not any different than any of us would have been during this period of time. He doesn't know what to do. I mean, he gave his wife the right advice. You know, she says, curse God and die. He goes, you know, are we going to take, you know, receive good and not receive bad from God? And then his friends start talking to him and he starts defending himself <laughs> and he starts wishing that he was dead <laughs> and saying, you know, I'm just tired of this life. I want to be dead. You know, I'm, 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 I'm through with it. And if his wife had told him it at this point in time, he probably would have said, yes, I'm just going to curse God and get it over with. But he's in flux, just like any of us would have been trying to figure out what we don't know. And this is why, and and he also, of course, does not have the whole Bible to be able to, to lean on. And this is why we've said this several times. We need to remember what we know about God in these hard times and just trust in what we know and know that he loves us, know that we have grace, know that he cares for us, even when everything seems to fall apart which is why I love Romans 8:28 so much. And there's so many other verses like Romans 8:28 that basically say the same, God is sovereign. He's God in control. But when things seem to be bad, I just hold on to that verse and try to say, not that I do it perfectly, but I, I come to the conclusion of, God, you're trying to do something. I just want to see how this is gonna work out. Now, I am like Job at times and, and swing back and, and forth and, and fight. But for me, that's a comforting verse. God is going to work everything out. Job doesn't have that verse. Job doesn't have most of Paul's writings because he, Paul is not even a glimmer in anybody's eye at this point in time. All right, he does, not have even the, he does not even have the Pentateuch written at this point. All he knows is the oral traditions, and we've talked about this, they're well advanced. The theology is well advanced that Job talks about. He talks about very advanced theology here. But he does not have anything written, and he has to trust in what he knows. And this is what's important for us, that to, re- to trust what we know about God in the hard times, and what we know about him in the good times. Because in the hard times, it's real easy to think that somehow God is no longer the same, because our emotions get involved. And Job's emotions are getting involved strongly at this point, and he's having trouble remembering what he what he believes and his friends are not helping him, out at all. They're condemning him, and so he's having a lot of problems with this. Uh, verse 18 says, "He will not suffer me to take a breath, but fills me with bitterness." And this is kind of an interesting statement that he's making. God will not even give me a moment to catch my breath. You know, and if you've ever been there, where it just seems like so much is happening. And you just go on. I just need a moment. I remember one time that I literally got got into a situation in water that I needed to catch my breath. Uh, I went to I went swimming at a at a waterfall, and my friends were on the other side of the waller, waterfall, and they said, "Come on through." Well, you know how many movies you watch where the people walk through the waterfall, and there's and everything. You can't do that. Don't ever try to walk through a waterfall. <laughs> And this wasn't a heavy one. It was was a good one, but it wasn't wasn't Niagara Falls or anything. Uh, There's a hole that the water pounds into the ground. I got pushed down 20 feet (laughs) before I knew what was going on. And I can remember thinking, how am I going to get back up against this water when I finally found solid ground and was able to push back up? It was fun to do once I knew it was there. But that first one was virtually sheer panic. If I wasn't as strong a swimmer as I you know, am, I would not have been able to have done that. Of course, they all thought it was funny and everything when I came sputtering up. But I had no chance to catch a breath, and I thought I was going to die. Jove is going, huh? I didn't know that. Yeah, don't ever try to walk through a waterfall. Uh, let, practical lesson today. <laughs> Anybody would, because you watch it on TV yeah, yeah. all the time. Uh, but Job is saying, so much has been happening, I can't even catch my breath. And think about this: each time that these things happened, when he lost his, lost all of his wealth, is what one guy was still talking to him when the next one came, and then the, they were still talking to him when the next one came, and you know, so four people in a row came to him, and he'd had no time to even think about how bad things were before he realized he lost everything and then he lost his health there was some kind of space there but we still know it was very quick and he's lost everything including his health in rapid succession now all of us know we can pretty much take one blow and and trust god but when we get rapid blows and i don't know i've never i don't think i've ever had to deal with four rapid blows like that big big blows like that it would be a very tough thing to be able to sit back and say Wow, God, I I know that you're a good God. I know that you care about me. I know you've got something good coming out of this, but it would be very tough to do this. And then he gets sick. He starts scratching and and everything. And, And his friends come and they watch him for a week and then they start hammering on him. And again, it's like, God, I just need a moment to catch my breath. And been there, done that, you know, been there and gone through that occasionally when somebody just, they come to help you. <laughs> they come to help you and they just hammer on you and figure, what have you done wrong? Why is God judging you? And, you know, and they just keep going after you. And this is where Job's at right now. He says, even if God was to talk to me, I don't, I don't know that I would hear him. Because there's so much noise going on in his life right now. And then this whole process, and he goes, I can't catch my breath And he goes, if I speak of strength, lo, he is strong. Now, this is kind of an interesting statement. He understands that God is omnipotent, is all-powerful. He goes, if I speak of strength in in myself, God is stronger. All right? Uh, He goes, and if judgment, who shall set me a time to plead? He goes, so if I want to talk about judgment... Will God even put a docket on the co- on the co- on the bench for me to even make my case? God does. <laughs> well, He does. He gives him a docket here. Uh, but at this point, He's going. You know, I can't even get I can't even get a slot to appear before the judge. Now, in their day, what you would end up doing, you would go to the king's court, and you might get heard, if you were lucky. There would be hundreds of people all wanting to present their case to the to the king. And it wasn't necessarily a first come, first serve, it was whoever the king wanted to listen to. And if you weren't, and if he didn't want to listen to you, you didn't get in. And this is kind of what he's saying: the, the mighty God of the universe, if I had a complaint and I wanted a judgment. How am I even going to get to plead my case before him? He goes, I've got a big case to plead. He's taken everything away from me without cause. And he goes, I've got to be able to stand at the court of the king and be able to be heard. So he's saying, I don't even think that would happen. If I showed up in his court, I don't look good enough. I'm not, I don't have enough clothes. I don't have the right clothes to wear. I'm not healthy. I don't have the, the money to bribe the <laughs> officials to get onto the docket. And he's thinking all these things. He goes, I would not even be heard by God at this point. And he says, if I justify myself, my own mouth shall condemn me. If I say I'm perfect, it shall also prove me perverse. And this is kind of funny because this is the hardest thing we have. When we try to defend ourselves. all it does is usually make things worse then people use this nice wonderful thing where there's smoke there's fire. You're now defending yourself so now we really have to look at you and see where is the fire that's causing this smoke? Where is the problem that's causing you to defend yourself? And if you don't say anything they assume that you're guilty because you're not defending yourself. And this is what Job is saying. He goes I can't even defend myself. If I say I'm perfect to the perfect God then I will show that I am a perverse sinner. And this is kind of an interesting thing. This is why I'm saying Job has got this idea. He goes, I know I've got issues. I know I'm not perfect compared to the perfect God, but yet I don't deserve what's happening to me. So he's in a catch-22. How do I defend myself to a perfect God saying that I don't deserve what he's sending me because he is perfect? and yet I'm not perfect enough to stand in front of him and say that I'm perfect. And he's really hurting at this point. In his mind he goes, I've not done anything bad. And we know that God's testimony of him is that he is a perfect and upright man that, 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 that doesn't deserve what's happening to him. But in God's sovereignty he's let Satan touch him. And this is hard for us to understand. and It's really hard for Job to understand. Now we know the end of the book that God's going to bring blessing and all things work together for good and he gets twice as much as he lost uh, and all of that. But put yourself in the middle of the situation and you're going, don't understand, don't care that I'm going to get blessed later on because I'm hurting now. And sometimes that's how we feel, even though even when we're holding on to Romans 8.28, God, I don't care how much you're going to make this work out for good. I don't like it because I am hurting now. And again, it depends on how hard we hold on to that truth. And so Job is going through all of this stuff and he says, and though I were perfect, yet would I not know my soul, I would despise my life. He goes, even if I was perfect, I, all the stuff that's going on, I despise. I hate what's going on in my life. And, you know, this is something that he's going through all of this prob- process. He's going can I be perfect compared to a perfect and holy and righteous God and he says the answer is no and this is a thing I find so interesting when we witness to somebody we share with people they want to stand before God doing what they think is good and have this you know I have more good than bad and they're gonna stand before a perfect God and say well I'm, I'm more good than I'm more good than bad and they don't understand the, the absolute perfection of if God. I, if you said, if you said that, I know I'm not perfect, but I don't deserve this. Not, he's yes, saying that a little bit anyway. He's saying this a little bit. yeah, yes. you know, He's not coming out because this is all poetry yes. to begin with. But he is really coming out and saying, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm, yes. not, I'm not bad enough to deserve what, yes. <laughs> what's happening. And how can I even defend myself against a holy and righteous God? And this is again, he understands God's character. He understands who God is as he's stating these things. And, you know, he understands better than most people, most Christians today understand God. And he's struggling with this whole process. I, you know, well, God, I know that I'm not perfect, but am I really bad enough to deserve everything that's come my way? Answer No, you're not that bad, but God is got a plan and this is the hard thing for us sometimes to understand that God has a plan (laughs) and be willing to accept his plan whatever that plan might be and it's not easy sometimes it's very difficult many times to go through whatever it is that God is sending our way and I've never gone through what Job had I've had some bad times and hard times but never anything like Job has had Job has had a very hard time. And we can, I can put myself in his place and say, man, if I had everything go wrong with me that, that Job has gone, would I, even knowing what I know, be able to hold on and say, God, <laughs> I know all things work together for good and I'm just gonna wait for you. I don't know that I could do it. Job had a relationship with God that was very deep and God trusted that he was going to be able to prove himself with him. And Job would hold on. Verse 22. This is one thing thereof I said. He destroys the perfect and the wicked. So basically this is what David is going to say later on. And the Psalms are going to say. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. He goes God destroys the wicked and the just. In other words, this is the first time he's totally contradicted what Bildad said. You know, Bad things happen to good people. He's starting to recognize, you know, hey, now I'm not, a, I'm not a really bad person, bad things. But he's also thinking about probably all the other things that he has seen where bad things have happened to good people. Uh, a flood comes along and it destroys everybody in the path of the flood. It doesn't matter whether they're good or bad. The storm comes, the, the tornado comes, and who knows what is going to happen. And he's recognizing that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. The bad things can happen to the good and the bad. And he's recognizing this with this statement. This one thing, therefore I said, he destroys the perfect and the wicked. And this word for destroy is actually perfects or completes. All right. So he, is, he tests the wicked and the, and the just. And this is where he's starting. He's starting to show that he understands a little bit about what's going on, but he doesn't understand. He is struggling with what he believes about God. And we all go through this in our lifetime because God puts us purposely in a place where he says, You know this, but how well do you know this? And starts making us think about what it is we believe. He is very much a prosperity gospel person that when you do right, you you get good, good results and nothing bad happens. And now he's struggling with that, even though he says, I know I have seen the righteous suffer uh, in hard times as well. And now he's one of the righteous that is suffering. And he's going through all of this. He says, if the scourge slays suddenly, he will laugh at the trial of the innocent. Now, this is a little bit harsh that that what he's saying. He goes, God seems to be inattentive. All right. If the scourge, the whip, kills and when somebody was scourged, oftentimes they would die. You know, when you're you're scourging somebody, you're literally ripping the skin off their body and it's not uncommon that somebody would die. And we find out that scourging goes way, way, way back. And, you know, it's amazing how Inhumane man can be to other men. You know, we look at the different tortures that people have put together over the years, and you know, uh, in the Middle Ages, they would flay somebody, and that means they literally took the skin off their body. All right, the whip would oftentimes take the skin off the body, and they would bleed to death and go into shock. And he says, you know, God, if you scourged them and they suddenly died, you know, would you laugh? Will you laugh at them because they died at the scourge? Now, he is getting a little bit outside of this because God, when he disciplines, is not looking to kill us usually. But, you know, that may be what he's needing to do if somebody is being totally inattentive. But he says, God would laugh. And it says, the earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covers the faces of the judges thereof. Where and who is he? In other words, the age old complaint, why do the wicked prosper? (laughs) You know, this is what he's saying. The earth is given to the hand of the wicked. You know, these these leaders sometimes are terrible people. These rich people are sometimes very terrible. They are not following after God, and yet God seems to just turn his back and give them give them wealth. David said it, why do the heathen r- rage against God and, and, the, and the wicked, the wicked uh, get promoted? It's an age-old question. It's even thrown into us at this day and age. Well, if God's a really good God, why do people who do bad things prosper? And why do good, you know, good people not, not prosper? It's always thrown out there. God has his reasons, and we don't know what they are. But it is a hard question to ask. You know, God, why is that person got all the money? Why does that person have all the power? Why is that person you know, promoted to the office? You know, God, they don't follow you at all, and yet they are in charge of a nation or in charge of a business or whatever it might be that you're looking at. And it's a hard question to answer. We, the only thing we know is that God is sovereign and he has a reason. And that's what we fall back on, and we find out somewhere along the lines that we can see, hopefully, that God has a reason. Why did Hitler come to power and kill off you know, millions of Jews and Christians and everybody? Why did Stalin come to power and murder off all these Christians? And, you know, uh, and then China, the same thing. Why is the, the uh, Muslim world all through, the, through their killing off millions of Christians every year? And we look at it and go, God, it just doesn't make any sense. If you, you know, covered your face, you don't see these things, and yet God has some reason for it, and we don't necessarily know it. And Job, this goes back to one of the very first books, complaining, God, you just don't seem to make any sense. Why aren't there? Why are the unrighteous, you know, not being thrown thrown into where I'm at, and I, I should be ruling? They should be. They should have lost everything and lost their health. They should be where I'm at and I should be where they're at. And it is hard when we watch things happen to us and we're going, God, I just don't understand why I'm suffering and that person doesn't. That person who looks so bad and so evil and maybe is evil and bad, they don't seem to suffer. Now, again, I've said this many times, you know, when we look at their lives, they are suffering as bad as anything we are. They're just suffering differently. They're just suffering in a very different way. They don't have peace. They don't have comfort. And how do we know? Well, we said this many times. How many rich, famous people check themselves into drug rehabilitation or commit suicide or, you know, end up drunken and and, and you know, out of their mind with drugs because they're just not content. We look at him and think, well, look at all that stuff you've got. The rich young ruler we talked about today, he, he had wealth, he had position, he had authority, but yet he wasn't at peace with God. And saying, how do I enter into the kingdom of heaven? And basically the bottom line was, you know, get rid of your, get rid of your God before me. Get rid of your wealth, which is your God, and follow me. And he walked away in sorrow he didn't want to get rid of his God and so he did not get what he wanted and he did not have the joy and peace of being with God and we need to be very careful because it's so easy for us to get discontented with what God allows us to have. Job is in this place where he's saying, God I just don't understand it. I had all this wealth, I had position, I had power, now I have nothing and he probably was thinking, my neighbor across the, across the valley up there on that hill, he really wasn't that righteous, God, but look at all the stuff he still has. And that's his complaint right now. Why? Why did this happen? And, God, and then he goes, have you covered your face? <laughs> Who and where is the judge? God, I thought you were the judge, but maybe you're not. You, you seem to have covered your face. Who is the judge? Who is the one that's going to bring justice to all of this event? And this is something that everybody who goes through hard times usually follows into. God, why me? Why not that person? Why is that person seeming to be still blessed when everything I know is being destroyed? And it's very hard to, to go into all right, verse 25. Now my days are swifter than the post. They flee away. They see no good. They are passed away as swift ships, as the eagle that hastens to its prey. If I say, I will forget my complaint, I will leave off my heaviness and comfort myself, I am afraid of all my tr- sorrows and know that you will not hold me innocent. If I be wicked, why then labor I in vain? If I wash myself with snow water and make my hands never so clean, yet shall you plunge me into the in the ditch and my own clothes shall abhor me. For he is not a man as I am that I should answer him and we should, not, should come together in judgment. Neither is there any days neither is there any days man between us That might lay his hand upon both of us both. Let him take his rod away from me and let not his feet terrify me. Then I will speak and not fear him. But it is not so with me. All right. So here is his continued complaint. He goes, my days are swifter than the post. They flee away. They see no good. He's saying my days are flying by. (laughs) Swifter than the post. Uh, now, we don't have a very fast post office these days, but the, their postal services, even in those times, were pretty quick between the cities uh, to get information between them. They had things like the Pony Express and everything. They had post riders and mail, mail, mail deliveries, very much like the Pony Express, where you would go and switch horses and camels or whatever. And they would run, run these messages, and they would get through very quickly. He goes, they flee away. They see no good. And at this point, I don't know how fast his days were going. I don't know that my days fly by when I'm not feeling good and having a pity party. And yet he's saying everything is going by very quickly. I think what he's saying is I see no hope for the future. All right. Uh, <clears throat> I see nothing good in the future. I have nothing to live for. There's no, you know, everything looks bad for as far out as I can see. Because one thing I know is when when things aren't going my way, those days usually seem to last forever. And so I think that's what he's looking at and saying, God, these days are just going to last forever. I don't see any end to to this. He says, they are passed away as swift ships, as the eagle that hastens to its prey. Now, the only time I've seen eagles hitting their prey, I've never seen it in real life, but I've seen lots of pictures where all of a sudden an eagle just takes a dive, and snatches whatever it is that, that it's hunting. Um, it's amazing to me how fast they they're flying along, and then all of a sudden they, they film them diving, and then they catch them. You know, they, they can stop right at just before they hit the ground and catch their catch their uh, prey, or hit that water and catch their fish, and then flying back up again. It's amazing. And he's saying, "This is how fast my days are going. They're going like the eagle, going like a swift ship, and." This is kind of an interesting statement that he's saying that everything is going by quickly. Uh, With all of these things going on in his life, and, you know, he's in pain, he's in suffering. I think each day is taking a long time, but it's also going by quickly, and he has no hope for the future. And this is the hard thing when you don't see any, you know, light at the end of the tunnel. That's usually when everything's the hardest. All right, God, I (laughs) just—I've been trudging on. I've been hoping that everything's going to be good, but God, I see nothing. There's nothing in the future to draw to. There's nothing in the future to grab hold of, and that is very depressing when you're looking and saying, "I'm just trudging through another day, and another day, and another day, and another day." God, when will all of this trial end? And he's basically coming through this this passage. And then I love verse 27. If I say I will forget my complaint or ignore my complaint, I will leave off my heaviness and comfort myself. So he's laying out saying, all right, I'm just going to ignore the problems that I have. All right. Now, we've all been there when we've had problems. How easy is it to ignore the problem that's sitting in front of your face? And that's why he's saying if, if I could do this, if I could forget or ignore my complaint and I leave off my heaviness and comfort myself, because if I could do these things, which we know would be very hard to do when we're in the middle of something, it is very hard to, number one, ignore the problem, uh, even though sometimes I wish I could ignore some problems. But he's saying I can't do that if I leave or abandon or you know, ignore or forget and my heaviness, and I comfort myself, I look to just take pleasure. He goes, "If I could do all of those things, I am afraid of all my sorrows and I know that you will not hold me innocent." He goes, "Even if I couldn't forget my problems, God, I know that you do not consider me innocent." I still stand guilty before you. So he's starting to come to this this place where he's going, I am not a perfect person. All right. He still doesn't believe that he's done anything bad enough to deserve this, but he's going, man, if I could just forget my problems, God still wouldn't consider me an innocent person. He's really going back to the fact that he has to offer sacrifices, he has to he has to confess his sins. And he's always, and this is the question that the Jewish people and all the other groups that offer sacrifices, has my sacrifice been good enough to cover my sins? And Job is now kind of wondering, I've been offering sacrifices. Did I not offer enough sacrifices? Were they not a big enough offering? What have I done to that didn't please God? And we need to be very careful because we tend to do the same thing quite often. You know, even as Christians, and we know that, our, that we are, have our place with God only because of Jesus' righteousness and, and grace, we still oftentimes have this, You know, well, I must have deserved this. I, you know, I, didn't, I didn't do enough. And this is why I want to hammer so much on grace. Getting to know God's grace so I don't have to sit there and try to figure out what did I do wrong. Yeah, because I've got plenty to do wrong. I can go just like Job. In my own flesh, I have all kinds of problems that deserve punishment. The good news for us is that Jesus took the, all the punishment for our sin, and we get to live in the grace of His righteousness and not have to wonder, did I, did I do something wrong? Can, did, I, did I lose my salvation somehow because I did enough bad things that I got out from under Jesus' blood? The answer, no. If you're under his blood, you can never get out from under his blood because of his grace. And this is the problem. People like grace for themselves, they don't like to apply grace to others. And we always worry is God's grace strong enough to keep us? If I really, really do bad things, is God's grace good enough to keep us? Which is why there are denominations that say the answer is no God's grace can't keep you. It's sad to me that they have that, you know, that you can lose your salvation, you can get out from under God's grace, you you can grab those sins that were separated as far as the east is from the west and somehow get hold of them and bring them back to you. You know, uh, it's a scary thought. And, And I've talked to many of them that go, well, you can't lose your salvation, but you can give it up. That's what they like to tell us. You can do things to get rid of your, your, your eternal salvation. You can just choose you don't want it anymore. You know, and I got problems with that idea, too. Once, once I surrender to God, I'm his. God, I'm, I'm your slave. Well, God, I'm not your slave today. <laughs> uh, well, sorry, you made yourself a slave. You're my slave, no matter what you say at this point. That person who was a voluntary slave in the Jewish... Uh, was a bond slave an earring was put through their ear and they were made into a permanent slave they could not next year say well I don't want to be your slave anymore they had made a choice to be that person's slave there was no freedom for them because they made a choice when we become the bond slave of Christ he doesn't say well okay oh, you don't want to be my slave anymore okay sorry you know, no you said I am your, your servant your slave that is it you're done This is the reason we need to know our scriptures and know what those terms mean to be able to say this is how strong it is. This is why Peter and Paul and John, their favorite term was I am the bond slave of Christ. With all that that power meant because I voluntarily made myself a slave to Jesus and it's permanent. I can't decide three years from now, well I don't want to be a slave anymore. Once you made that decision, you were that person's slave. And we become his bond slave. And not going to be freed just because we decide, I want to be free. God says, nope, you made yourself my slave, now you're, now you're mine. Now, I don't know why anybody would want to not be his slave because of his perfection and everything and how good, how good it is to be his slave, but you know, there are people who turn away from him. Yeah, that's true too. Sometimes we do get to that place where we think that the bad was better uh, or we forget how bad the bad was. Yeah, I wanted out of it when I was doing all the bad, but I don't remember how bad bad was. I just remember some of the fun that the bad bad things were. And, you know, we as humans do have this tendency to forget how bad things are. I did it with restaurants I'm going, I liked restaurants and there are certain aspects of restaurants I really loved. There are certain aspects of restaurants that I hate with a passion. And when I went back to restaurants, I had forgotten the parts that I didn't like. And it didn't take me very long to remember all the stuff that I didn't like about restaurants. And I'm going, no, God, I don't want to go back to restaurants. I don't ever want to go back to restaurants. Because what I don't like is worse than the parts that I do like. And we, didn't, we all have this tendency. I want to go back to Egypt. Egypt. What did the Jews do when they got out of Egypt? Well, you know, we're, we're hungry. We're tired of this manna and quail. We want to go back to Egypt where there were onions and garlic and, and all kinds of wonderful treats. Yeah, they beat us and they made us work real hard, but you know, there was all kinds of good food out there that we could, that we could eat. You know, we need to be very careful because it's so tempting sometimes to go backwards, back to the world, back to the way things were, and we don't remember the bondage that came with the things that we wanted to get, to go back to. All we do is kind of remember that we used to have a little bit of fun on some things, and we want to be very careful that we don't want to go back to Egypt. And this is the whole process that we're that we're looking at. Uh, he says, uh, "Let's see." I am afraid of my sorrow. I know that you will not hold me innocent. He goes, if I were wicked, so now he's going to the other side. If I was wicked, then I labor in vain. If I was wicked, then everything I'm doing for God is is worthless. (laughs) And this is a true statement. If we're doing things for God in our own strength, it is empty. Even as Christians, if we do things in our own strength for God, it is empty And worthless because God says that all our righteousness is filthy rags. So when I'm serving God in my own strength, God is saying, well, I'm working in vain. This is why I have to surrender and say, God, what is it you want to do through me? And what let him work? Now, the problem with everybody looking at us, there's not much difference between God working through me or me doing it myself they're going oh look how look how wonderful that person is they're they're always there serving they're always doing this they're always doing that they're 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 working so hard for god and this is why it becomes very difficult to to look at somebody and to say are they walking with god or are they in their own strength now in the long run you might know the difference because you know your own strength wears out the strength of god can keep you moving even when you're when you're tired and, and having a hard time. But God, God's sitting there saying this is what it is. And I've looked at this and I'm wondering in my own life how many of the things that I have done have been done in my own strength that are going to burn up when I get to the Vema seat. And just because they were done in my own strength. Now that even when I do it in my own strength does not necessarily mean that other people didn't get rewarded. It just meant that I did things my own way. God has given me the gift of teaching so it's easy sometimes for me to teach on my own and there's times when I'm teaching through God's Spirit and I know the difference. And I'm sure most people know the difference. But you know and I said I that to pastors one time, how many times is for us as pastors are we doing things in our own strength because we're paid to do it? How many times do we get up to teach or preach or whatever it might be and we're not there? We're not there with God but we're paid, so we have to say something. So we go, okay, I've been trained to do this. I know the material. I can teach it. Now, that doesn't mean it doesn't bless people out there because we can have some skills as teachers and leaders that have been developed over years, but I know there's sometimes when I've gotten up that I'm not ready to teach. And, you know, just not saying I didn't study. I'm just not ready to teach that moment that day. And it's very important for us. He goes, if I be wicked, then I labor in vain. If I wash myself with snow water and I make my hands ever so clean. So he goes, in my own efforts, (laughs) I take really clean water and I wash myself thoroughly. So that my skin shines and I've taken all all of my sin away as best I can do. I've washed my hands and I've made myself never so clean. Yet shall you plunge me in the ditch and my own clothes shall abhor me. You know, I, I kind of picture this. It's the kind of the picture where they talk about the, the pig. You clean the pig up real good, and as soon as you let go of the pig, what's the pig do? Run right to the mud and get muddy again. And he's saying, God, if I washed myself fully cleansed myself, you'd you'd find a there you'd have a ditch there for me to fall into and I'd be all dirty again. Showing the Inability of man to follow God. This is the equivalent of Paul saying, "I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I that I want to do." Oh, well, woe is me! Job is saying, "You know, no matter how clean I got myself, I'd still end up in a in a in a in a, in a ditch and end up being dirty." Well, yeah. Well, he's saying even if I could, because notice it says if if I washed myself with no water, he goes, even if I could, I'd find myself right back into the pigsty or the ditch. And my clothes would not be clean anyway. So I would be clothed in the the unrighteous rags that I have. So a lot of these are ifs. He's going, I'm projecting. It can't be done, but if I could possibly do it, it still wouldn't work. He's at this point starting to recognize that he isn't perfect, but he's struggling with the whole idea, well, I know I'm not perfect, but I wasn't bad enough to have everything stripped away from me, all right? And this is where he's coming down to. All these statements that he's, that he's, that he's making are, I haven't been that bad, all right? Yeah, I'm not perfect, but I haven't been bad enough to lose everything. And this is the problem with the prosperity gospel mentality. If you don't have everything, immediately those who are around you that believe in it go, well, it's all your fault. Somewhere you weren't good enough to deserve getting the blessing, so what has it been that you're doing wrong? And believe me, I have seen that being used against people so often, heard about it, you know, that they get blamed for not having stuff. You know, the reason you don't have a brand new car in your garage is because you just don't have enough faith and you're not obeying God and you haven't given enough in offerings and you haven't served enough in the, in the church and you're not reading your Bible often enough. You're not praying often enough. You know, it's all your fault. How does that make somebody feel? You're already struggling and everybody's telling you, you just weren't good enough. And you're looking at it going, well, yeah, I guess maybe I wasn't. You know, I, maybe I didn't pray for 28 hours a day. You know, I didn't give 190% of my income. You know, this, it must be all my fault. Because that's what you're being told. And Job here is saying, you know, hey, even if I had done, even if I could make myself clean, I wouldn't be clean. Or I wouldn't be clean long. <laughs> Alright? He goes, For he is not a man as I am that I should answer him and that we should come together in judgment. So he's saying God is not like we are. I can't even come before him and make my case. Now we're created in the image of God, but he's understanding that God is higher than we are. As Jeremiah is saying, God is, God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our ways. Job is saying the same thing. He goes, he's not a man. I can't, I can't even come together with him and reason with him. I cannot come and say, you know, here's my case because he is so much higher than me that I can't even begin to make that case. It would be the idea for for some people who get in awe of whoever they're standing in front of. Uh, it's very funny in the workplaces that I've been to and you get some regional vice president or corporate president come through. and. There are people that can't even open their mouth to those people, and I don't even think they're that important, but there's people that can't even, you know, they they get in front of them and it's like, can't say a word, don't know what to say. I get in trouble when those guys get around because I want to talk to them, and they don't want me talking to them because I tell the truth. When they ask a question, I tell the truth, so they don't want me talking to them, so I'm told not to talk to them. Uh, But it would be, like some people, if you've ever seen a movie or even when somebody get, gets in the presence of the of president or a king and they they get tongue-tied because this person is so important they don't know what to say. Now I've never met anybody that high up yet, so I don't know how I would feel. My oldest son he gets in front of all kinds of people. He meets all kinds of famous people and he talks with them and he has no problem with it. And I hope that I would be in that same same boat because that's how it's been in in the corporate world, but. This is what he's saying. God is so much bigger than me. I wouldn't even know what to say. And even if I could say it, it wouldn't make any sense because this is how high above he is. This is the same thing when Jesus and the disciples said, Jesus, teach us to pray. All right. They were used to the idea that you grabbed a prayer book and okay, I want to bless my food. I take one of these prayers for blessing my food. I want to play for a good, good harvest and crop. I take one of these prayers for harvesting the crop. What did Jesus say? Our Father who art in heaven. Now that was a strange term to them because they didn't think of God as Father. They thought of God as this transcendent being that was impossible to approach. All right? We're told that we can come boldly before the throne of God and make our requests. This is an unusual thought process for any religion to be able to come boldly before your god and present your case and your requests. And yet because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we can come before him and say father. You know, or even more correctly daddy and just say this is what I want. This is what I need and be able to come before him because here Paul um, Job is saying, you know, he's not like a man I can't I can't come before him. He goes, Neither is there any daysman between us that might lay his hand upon us both. A daysman is an arbitrator. All right. So this is kind of an interesting word. It's not one that we usually use as a judge or an arbitrator. Jesus is our daysman, but Job does not understand that there's going to be a day when there will be an arbitrator between man and God. Jesus is our advocate. He pleads our case between the Father because he paid the debts. So he goes before the Father and says, this is, this is one of us. You know, I paid for his debt, or her, her debt, his debt, and they now can come before us. But Job says, there's nothing between me and God. He does not understand that there's going to be an arbitrator at this point in time, or if he does, he goes, there's not one now. He goes, there's no arbitrator at this moment to stand between me and God. So whatever he does, I cannot make a complaint because there is no lawyer to make the complaint. There is no judge between me and God to to make my case for me. And he's in a sad place because he doesn't believe that there is anybody. And he doesn't understand the Messiah and all that because the Messiah, prophecies of the Messiah aren't there he would be able to go back to the very first one there, where God says that your seed the woman's seed will crush his head you know there are certain certain verses he might know that will or what will become verses but at this point he all he knows is I don't deserve anything if God doesn't willingly talk to me I can't make my case to him there is no in between for us we have an in between Jesus is our go-between. He is our lawyer. He is our advocate. He is our daysman, as, as this verse talks about. That says, Father, I know that they have some problems, but my blood covered it, so we're going to accept them. Job doesn't have this. All he's looking at, he's finally realizing, okay, all these bad things happened to me. I guess I deserve them. I don't know why I deserve them. But there's no judge between me and God. God's allowing all of this stuff to happen, so I'm just going to have to live with what's happening because I cannot even make my complaint. Now later on he's gonna turn his turn turn around after he's been beat up by his friends so long, he's he's gonna to get to the point where I just want a day in court. God, I want my day in court. And finally God brings a day in court and he says I shut my mouth. And God says, you asked for it. I want I want you to tell me what it is that you do. We've got many weeks till we get there, months until we get there, but you know Right now, he's basically saying, there's nobody to stand before God. I can't even get a day in court with him. And even if I could, I wouldn't be able to speak. And he's actually speaking the truth because when he does get his day in court, he doesn't have anything to say. Uh, just as he knew that he wouldn't have in the first place. But, you know, he's going to get to this place where he is so depressed, so irritated by his friends and so irritated by what he's going. I just want my day in court, God. You know, give, me, give me an audience. And then he gets it and says, goes right back to where he's, where he's at here. And he goes, whoop, can't say a word. And he goes, let him take his rod away from me and let not his fear terrify me. So he's going, God, just take the punishment away. Take the punishment away. And there is a point where punishment has to stop. He's not really being punished. He doesn't understand that. He says, God, just take the rod away. You know, give me, at least give me my health. All right. Give me my house so I can go back and earn, you know, start all over again. And this is where, when he was first talking to his wife, you know, with all the pain and suffering, he's going, all right, you know, all right, I've lost everything, but I have my health. You know, and that probably held him together on, those, on the first set of trials. I've been there, done that. I, 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 lost, I, I had everything. Now I've lost it. I'll go get it back again. Every famous entrepreneur who's gone broke many times and, and they just go, okay, I'll start all over again. I had it once, I made it once, I'll go do it again. Uh, Ford was famous for that, Edison was famous for that statement, you know. Uh, had it, now I'm broke and everything's gone, I'll go start all over again. When he lost his health, that's a whole other story. How do you continue to serve and work when you have no health? It's one thing to be healthy and start, you know, start from the bottom. You don't really like it, but you can, you know, had it once, I know what to do, I'll go do it again. But when you've lost your health, it's like, now what do I do? I don't have the strength to be able to go do this. And, God, and he's saying, God, just pull the rod away from me. Let me at least have my health back so that I can serve and, and go forward. And then he says, if, I had, if you would just take away your rod and let, and let not your fear terrify, me, then I would speak and not fear him, but it is not so with me. He goes, if you would just pull back a little bit, then I wouldn't fear him. And I could speak to him and present my case without fear. He goes, but that is not where I'm at. God's wrath and judgment is so heavy on me that I cannot even approach him without fear. And ultimately, Job is in a place where he's going, I had to have done something. I have no idea what it was I have done because God's torment is upon me. So there must be something. And he goes, God, if you would just let me catch my breath, if you would just, you know, not hurt me so much, maybe I could figure out what it is that I have done wrong. And that's where he's at right now. God, I don't think I've done anything that bad, but if you would just back off just a little bit so I could think, then I could could figure this out. And I could be able to speak with you without fear, without problem. And so Job is in this whole process of trying to figure things out and trying to grow into this. He goes, no one can stand before God and deliver him. And it would be Jesus eventually who would be the one that can deliver us. He does not understand the Messianic at this point. He does not understand that there's going to be an arbitrator. Matter of fact, there's no such thing as Jews yet at this point in time. Uh, there are Hebrews, but not Jews. And, and Job would have been of the, of the Hebrew family most likely. But there, he, there are no Jews at this moment because Abraham doesn't have you know, might have Isaac by this point, but that's, we don't know because he's in that same time frame, but there's not a, a nation yet that's come out of of Abraham to become the Jewish people. So, he doesn't have any concept of that. He has no concept of the Messiah. He has no concept of the king coming out of the out of the line of Abraham and David. All he knows is, God, I don't understand all of this. I know that you love us. I know that you care about us, but But you're the rewarder of good and the punisher of evil. I'm under punishment so therefore I am you know doing some I have done something evil. I have no idea what it was that I did that was so evil to deserve this much punishment. But God please pull back just a little bit so I can start thinking. And if if you've ever been there it's really hard to think when everything seems to be going wrong. Uh, You know one thing after another after another after another after another and you're sitting there Still trying to deal with the first problem and now there's five more problems to deal with. It's happened to me a few times as a manager. I'd walk in, especially if I walked into a mess. And you're sitting there trying to figure out the first problem you find and then all of a sudden these other problems are bombarding on you. And I can remember one instance where I came in and it was a disaster. And all the customers wanted to complain to me. And all I wanted to scream is just let me fix the problems and then I'll take, care, I'll take care of your complaints, you know. But everybody wanted to just complain to me while I'm sitting there seeing all the problems that need to be fixed. And, you know, you can't be that way to them. You're, but all I can see is all these problems that need to be fixed. And everybody's just, you know, this is happening, this is happening, this is happening. And I'm going, yeah, I understand. Let me go fix the problems and I can talk to you is what you wanted to say. And so I'm giving instructions, fix this, fix that, fix this, while I'm trying to give attention to the customers, but it was just constant bombardment, and it was like, what is going on? And this is where Job's at. He says, all these things keep bombarding me. You know, one right after the other, and even with his health. You know, uh, and we talked about that. He's scraping himself with this pot sheared, and, and, the, and the sores are getting pus filled, and, and pain filled, and you know he's suffering, and in complete pain and if you've ever been in complete pain you know what it's like trying to concentrate on anything I've had gout attacks that make me not want to be able to do anything but you know all I can think about is the pain and yet you have to walk in your daily life and it's like okay all I can think about is this pain and yet I've got to get things accomplished this is where Job's at over and all floods of pain come in his way as he's trying to figure out what to do how to do it and he's complaining god god just give me some time to breathe and think i just need to, you know give me give me 24 hours without without pain without without trials so that i can try to concentrate and figure out what's going on and this is the really hard thing to to go through at times and this is where job's at he doesn't even have time to try to figure things out he's just he's struggling with what he believes and what he knows about god and and where he's at and trying to bring things that seem to be opposed to each other together and God is really good about having things that I'm sure he makes perfect sense out of because he knows all things But there are so many things that come my way that I don't I can't make perfect sense out of these things because they seem like alright God you're a good God why are all these bad things happening to me you know and God says well I know what's going on and I know what's going on in the future you know and I'm going well well, God, I'm sorry, I'm in this moment here and I don't know. And when we get far enough down the road, we go, oh, okay, now I think I understand why this all happened. But when you're in the middle of all that craziness and we're trying to figure it out and it makes no sense, it's tough. And this is where Job's at at this moment. Lord, we ask you to help us to just learn to listen to your word and to follow your word. Help us to trust you in all that happens. And we just thank you that you love us so much, that you have a good plan for us always. And we just thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and that's is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please, today, make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com.